Hello, and welcome to the michaelcrane.live podcast. The podcast is about entrepreneurship and tips for staying highly motivated to make a positive change in your life. Keep listening and follow the podcast to stay connected with the community at michaelcrane.live. So get comfy and enjoy today's conversation. And on today's podcast, I am so thrilled to have with me Delissa Needham. She's the winner of the Press Guild Award for Journalism. Delissa has produced over 600 hours of television and created and sold over 20 commissioned series and generated millions of pounds of business for production companies across the world. As an executive producer, Delissa has worked for the BBC, Sky, Channel 4, ITV, Discovery, Animal Planet, UK TV, and Channel 5. She has co-produced with Colin Firth and worked with other Oscar A lister talent such as Kira Knightley, Sir Ian McKellen, Sir Ben Kingsley, Graham Norton, and Frank Skinner. Wow, that says so much. I only wish our listeners could be privy to this online virtual uh, podcast here. But why don't you tell our listeners a little bit more about you, something I didn't say in your introduction. Uh, okay, well, gosh, I mean, over the last year, for instance, it's just been incredibly busy. About a year ago, I set up a uh, dating agency last uh, 20, 2020, January 2020, with the idea of um, listening to what kind of uh, uh, men, women wanted to meet, uh, the older woman wanted to meet, and then sending, uh, creating a diary of events where those people could go to, where they were likely to meet the kind of person that uh, that they were looking for. And that um, led to me becoming the agony aunt for the Jewish news. And then uh, we kind of hit a brick wall, of course, with dating once lockdown set off. But by that time, I'd actually sold the rights to a book written by somebody else, which I had the screenwriting uh, option. So I've been working on that. So I've been script writing. And, oh, gosh, what else? Uh, pitching television shows and oh, and then I, I've just literally uh, just launched my masterclass teaching people uh, filmmaking so they can broadcast their own business. It's been a really busy year. Oh and I'm writing a book as well Michael, I forgot about that, a dating book called How to Meet Your Man which I'm, write, I'm writing with a lady uh, called Dawn Parry. Wow that is a very exciting intro. But tell me, how has this pandemic affected you? You mentioned last January you started out with your dating agency. Surely that was really quite tough. Yeah, it, it just stopped. And I had got clients. And uh, so but anyway, I, I pivoted like other people did. I think the answer is always to pivot if you can and uh, to do something else, which is why I started writing the book and and started uh, script writing. So, what's the book called, Delissa? The book is called How to Meet How I Met My Man. Oh no, How to Meet a Man. Sorry, it's called How to Meet a Man. We changed the title, so it's How to Meet a Man, and it's full of tips uh, how you can meet somebody and 
each story, each chapter ends with a love story about how two people met. And there's some great stories in the book. It's just lovely. You know, just the people that we've spoken to that given us their stories on. It's a question I always ask people, how did you meet? And, and they usually come up with, you know, really, really lovely stories. Some people just ordinarily met, but some people met under very strange circumstances and, um, you know, have great stories to tell. I think the least interesting stories are the two people who met online. Um, that's, yeah, that's not what well, I'm talking about. That's now, isn't it? With the likes of Tinder and Bumble. Yeah, but not so much for an older generation, Michael. I mean, my clients are 45, you know, women 45 plus, not uh, not a younger generation. And, you know, I my personal view is that until they create smelly vision, you know, and we could actually smell somebody's pheromones through the laptop, you know, it's very hard, that whole dating, because the way somebody may look online is not the way they are when you're actually meeting them. It, it can be completely different. Similar to when I was booking a holiday in Gran Canaria last year, and uh, the pictures of the apartment looked absolutely stunning. What I saw in the picture, and actually what I got in reality, was such a huge variance. Yeah, that's, that's online thinking for you. Exactly the same thing. Very good example. So what was your inspiration for the book? Uh, it was the dating business, because I feel that women of an older generation are unserved, really, in terms of, of dating, because, because the online dating is um, tends to be aimed at the younger generation. I also don't particularly like the business of introduction agencies, because I had spoken to too many women uh, who had, you know, who had told me that um, they had handed over large sums of money on the basis that they were told that they would be introduced to uh, a man and, and, and they weren't. I mean, bearing in mind that I've produced television shows that have been about dating. I've produced a lot of television shows about dating and met a lot of dating experts. I was a dating expert previously in, in my history. Um, and I, I, you know, worked for Radio Essex doing uh, dating business and that kind of thing. So I know a lot about it and I find it really um, upsetting uh, that women get taken for a ride for such large sums of money. It's not, you know, all the agency has to do in exchange for the money very often is just to uh, provide, you know, a particular man. It, it's not about there being a happy outcome. That's not actually the contract. So I, I felt there was room for something else, which is what we were doing. And, and it was, So from the book, is there an app? No, hopefully there will be when, when the book comes out. I don't know what we do, actually, come think of it. I don't quite know what we do. I mean, the app would just be full of tips or, or whatever, but no, not, not, not really, no. I tried about that. I mean, it's something we could think about, but not really. This is just to encourage women to help them to think outside the box. In terms of meeting people, people tend to think, oh, I might meet somebody down the pub or they expect to be introduced to somebody by a mutual friend. And it, it, it doesn't really, you know, that's actually quite rare when you get to an older age. You kind of have to think a bit more strategically, really. Yeah, certainly in the last year, it's been rare that I've actually gone to the pub. So there must be an awful lot of... Uh, people struggling to actually find that ideal partner right now and I think it's similar for men actually 
It's an interesting point you make about women find it uh, are, are taken for a ride when entering into the dating uh, agency sort of uh, sphere. But I think from a man's perspective, I think it's, uh, you know, from the old age that, you know, the man was all, always traditionally the first one to make the first move. Do you think that's changed? And does your book allow, uh, take that perspective into account? Our book is very non-PC. We, 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 we think that women should really um, encourage or wait for the right moment, encourage that sort of uh, right move, as you call it, rather than just, uh, I don't, I don't, I don't, Think I don't personally think it's very romantic when women make the moves themselves. That's a very non-PC thing to say. But I think that women are more subtle than that. Good, good. And could be more, more flirty and fun and but it's not it's not a very uh PC attitude to have, really. Because women tend to be more aggressive, I think, in a younger age group. But I think uh, women of, of an older age group want romance. They want to be courted, and and it, you know, there's nothing very romantic about online dating. No, I agree. Mm. Not that I've done it. No, um, I did try it once because I was doing a dating show called I think it's called Getting Over Your Ex, and it was a long time ago. And we were all it was when online dating was starting, and this was a television show we did for Channel Four, I think, and we were all given free membership to a dating. Uh, agency so I thought well, this is very unromantic but I'll give it a go so I took a photograph of myself standing in the kitchen and I got lots of people writing in and I didn't really take much notice of it I was kind of ignoring it I thought it was a bit boring and then somebody wrote in and said how much for the fridge and I thought that's really funny <laughs> so he and I quite engaged in an online chat um, <laughs> we got engaged in an online chat for about two or three months and it was very funny, very funny. Um, and uh, but I couldn't understand why he never wanted to meet me. And then I mentioned his name to a girlfriend of mine, in fact, who was the dating expert on the show. And she said, oh, Sam, oh no, his real name's Jonathan. And um, she knew who he was and I knew who he was. The guy lived opposite me. I'd already been out on a date with him and he'd gone out with my girlfriend several times. So <laughs> He was doing, he was just having a bit of fun. And he was actually a comedy writer, so no wonder the uh, it was funny. But I, in a way, that's kind of strange, isn't it? The one that actually hauled me in was somebody I already knew and already met and already been attracted to at some point. Well, yeah. tricky business. Mm. You know, Delisa, this podcast is about entrepreneurship. And a couple of weeks ago, we had a pre-podcast briefing chat. And you mentioned to me at the time that you work with some of the most super rich entrepreneurs in the UK. I want to ask you, what sets a super rich entrepreneur apart from any other entrepreneur business owner, in your opinion? Well, I've been very, very fortunate because when I, I um, launched a digital marketing business, which is called Delister Associates, it was with the intention of uh, marketing and creating fantastic films of yachts for the purpose of marketing and I mean I have met various people through 
television work as well, but this was mainly where I met a lot of um, uh, very wealthy entrepreneurs, very successful entrepreneurs. Um, they're not necessarily driven by wealth. They are driven by the want, wish to be successful at what they do. Um, what sets them apart? And I literally, when I say have met some of the most um, you know, successful, I mean some of the richest people in the world. Quite extraordinary. They're very single-minded. They're very, very focused. There's no uh, emotional distraction to such an extent. And they're just in, they know exactly where they're going and what they're doing. And they don't divide their time. They don't, um, they don't uh, allow other things to get in the way of their thinking. So they're very focused about what they're doing. Um, one of the best tips I was ever given by uh, one particular man, um, a gentleman, a wonderful businessman who said to me, uh, who's very successful, has been very successful at many businesses. And he said to me, um, the best tip that you could ever give somebody in business is if it's working, keep going in that direction. So if something is working, keep going in that direction. Don't be distracted and just don't take on various other projects. I think when you've got a, a, an entrepreneurial mind, you're constantly going, oh, I could just do that, or I could do that, you know, and something pops up where you think, oh, I could easily, you know, run a really successful news agency at the same time as doing the business that I'm doing. They don't get distracted like that. Stick with what they're doing. They're on a main motorway and they're really going. And there's nothing that takes their mind away from that. And they section that business. This is what we do. And then they section the play. This is the playtime. Um, I would expect they section everything else in their lives. They don't allow the distraction. Everything is within its own place, within its own time. So in a way, I mean, what I'm saying, Michael, is that's focus. It's absolute focus. You know, I read an article about Elon Musk uh, last week, actually, and he is stated to say that he works 16 hours a day, seven days a week. From your experience, is that what counts? Yes, it, it, it does. But knowing when to stop and knowing when to play is equally as important. I mean, the people that I've worked with, particularly because I, I came across a lot in the yachting world, um, you know, know how to relax on their boat. I think, you know, it depends, uh, in terms of the yachting world, it depends on the yacht. If you're talking to sailing people, though, those successful businessmen who own sailing yachts know how to relax and they know how to switch off. Whereas people who are on a yacht who have made a lot of money and they're on a motor yacht, they're using that motoring, motor yacht almost like a floating business. So you don't necessarily see them in a relaxed capacity. But... Uh, you know, they all like competitive sport, yeah. Um, so the wealthiest people that you've met, is this generational wealth or is it wealth that they've gained? Because all too often I fear that people think that, oh, that person's very, very successful, but it was hand, the money was handed down to him from previous generations. And I'm really interested to understand a little bit more about, you know, the time it takes to compound your money. It, it's it's not. I don't think if you if you inherit money, you're not not driven 
as somebody who doesn't. I think somebody who starts from the bottom with a passion just keeps going, don't they really? Uh, I mean, I know plenty of, plenty of, I know uh, a couple of uh, very successful businessmen who've lost it all and remade it again. And I know one particular businessman who did that like three times, lost it and remade it. When you're driven, you keep going. But yes, they do work hard, certainly, but they also play hard. It's an interesting point, you know, uh, we all in life reach that ultimate peak. But peaks, what I find, are very short-lived. And once you come down from the peak, there's always the valley. For me, I call this valley is when you're looking up and you're in the valley of doom and despair. And I also think that this is why there's so much uh, uncertainty, fear. Well, maybe not fear as an entrepreneur. And it's certainly not that the guy who made it again three times and probably more some couldn't have been fearful because he might have just packed up his bags and uh, sat on his reclining chair for the rest of his days. But what do you think about the, the peaks and the valleys and how you manage your mindset in those two different scenarios? You've got to, somebody, a, a successful businessman said this to me the other day, you mustn't get too high on the peaks and you mustn't get too low on the lows. Does that make sense? Because if you do, you don't keep moving forward. And, and that's the key. It's very hard to do though, isn't it? It's very hard to do. I'm now thinking about, you know, the last year particularly. I've been uh, very fortunate because I've been helped a lot. Um, but, you know, that that was a, a low for me when you said, you know, what was it like when the dating business closed? Well, the dating business, the digital marketing business, um, everything just was grinding to a halt. But I have always been quite entrepreneurial. And I just carried on putting one foot in front of the other, but I was helped enormously. Um, you know, when I, I, I've spent most of my, from a personal point of view, Michael, I spent most of my um, working career, I, I did work for Sky and History Channel, but I, uh, when I worked for production companies as their head of development, I was responsible for coming up with ideas, taking them to the broadcaster and pitching them. And you get rejected a lot. So you learn to live with rejection. Even when you think it's absolutely brilliant, you know, unputdownable idea that, you know, should be fantastic, should be really successful. Why aren't they grabbing this? And you just have to learn to forget it, move on, pick up with another idea, move forward, just keep going. And you do, because if you believe in something, you keep moving with it. It sounds like since last year, the book and the dating agency isn't the only things that you've done. From an entrepreneurial standpoint, what other ideas have you pushed through with in the last year? Uh, well, I've been mainly focusing on, on script writing because I took a script writing course two years ago and storytelling has been my profession, uh, really. You know, when you're making a documentary, you're telling a story. I was just switching genres, effectively. So having taken somebody's book to an agent and they sold it successfully to a publisher... Uh, I, I've been writing, creating ideas and things through that, which is what I've always done effectively, but I'm now doing it within drama as opposed to within documentary. 
I'm very fortunate, Michael. I have a great imagination. I can go anywhere when you've got an imagination. So lockdown didn't mean too much to me because I, you know, was pitching ideas. I had one idea, uh, which I've always, I've worked on previously about um, 18th century Antigua because I'd made a, a documentary about Nelson. So I was actually repitching something else about Jane Austen and I'm, you know, was able to go to 18th century uh, Antigua when I was locked down and, and to... Um, 19th century Canada was another project I was working on. Um, yeah. So. so what's the process when you create this story and you pitch it to the producers or the executives in a production company? You either have an agent doing it for you or else you, you go knock on the door yourself. When I was in television as a head of development, you would go to the broadcaster and pitch the idea. And how have your scripts been produced yet? And what's the no, time they're, scale? They're on, they're, on, they're on the road at the moment. And it's a difficult road. It's not easy, I can tell you. But, never, you know, I've got other things I'm busy with. So I create and then I give it to somebody else to look after and that's it. Get on with the next thing, as I said. And I mean, now I'm, I'm, I'm very, I literally hot off the press. I've uh, just done my first masterclass. So... Um, I'm hoping to do more of those, teaching people how to make films. What does that look like, uh, Delissa, a masterclass? I have a very limited number of people who come. I like to keep them very small. Um, I like to, this is only, as I said, I've only just done the one, uh, to keep it very small. And they're all uh, business entrepreneurs, young, um, very uh, startup businesses. Uh, some of them, others are not. And they want to know how to make sure that if they have a film on their website, they, they get an audience for it. Because you can have a film on your website, Michael, and it may not be effective. And I see so many, so many films that people must pay quite a lot of money for and they don't actually get an audience. I'm in the business of getting an audience. What I've done most of my working life is to make sure that you get the audience and you keep the audience. And so helping... How do you get the audience? I think our listeners would be really uh, happy to hear what your thoughts are with regard to improving the searchability on the videos, but actually making the videos current and relevant and worthy of watching. It's about... Basically, when you put up a film on a website, you've actually already breadcrumb trail towards it. So you're driving people towards your website, either through marketing or through your social media, traditional marketing or social media. And you're creating a breadcrumb trail that's driving people towards your website. When they get to the website, they're looking for information. And that's when it falls down. Because what, what happens normally is, I mean, what I show my class is quite a lot of companies who have made a mistake they don't immediately grab the audience attention and keep it. And that's what I teach people to do. It's how, 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 not do they grab, how, do they, how does one grab the audience, assuming all your audience are different people with different personalities? You, you everybody is, when, when people arrive at the web site michael they're actually looking for information they're also looking to be entertained because if you just give people information they're bored so you've got to give some people something that's visually appealing to the eye and you need to do that very quickly and then you say something that grabs people and and people are very um 
engaged always by a story. So uh, that film on your website should really effectively be a story in whatever format you do it. What does your masterclass actually uh, look like for a student? They join me online and there's uh, usually 10 attendees and uh, we do a uh, masterclass and then that's I do that for uh, two and a half hours and then we're joined by a digital marketer who will talk for an hour and take questions and that's for two, two mornings. For two mornings. And what type of people are you getting there? Are they influencers who have a YouTube channel? Or no, no, they? no, because this is all website stuff. This is uh, all you know, interesting businesses I've had. Lots of very interesting. I have solicitors, um, you know, architects. We had um, uh, construction companies. Uh, ooh, a couple of um, smaller businesses selling services and products, yeah. How do you make an exciting video about a firm of solicitors, Delissa? It's down to the personality and the character. What I teach people is how to interview somebody in a way that they come across uh, very interesting and engaging. How to be aware of what the camera is doing, uh, uh, because that makes a lot of difference too. If you've got camera work that puts people off, if you've got um, something obstructing on screen, it doesn't take a second for the hooks to come out of somebody's brain and, and for, for you to lose their attention. We're now in what's known as the attention economy effectively, and you've got four seconds before somebody is gone. So you need to use those four seconds very well. And what I'm trying to teach people is how to use that four seconds effectively. Do you give them, do you write their content for them or do they come up with the content and you apply it in with your experience? I, 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 uh, I never script anybody. If people know their business, they know what they're talking about. And that's when they become passionate. And when they're passionate on screen, that's when you become engaged. And one of my films that we did for a particular client increased their, well, they got a return on their investment with me of 35% because they got um, an increase of 35% people attending uh, one of their open days, which in, in, of course then resulted in business. How long do you think video should be? No more than two minutes. What people don't realise is that uh, viewers look at the bottom very often just to see how long something is. I do the same thing myself. And I, and I don't give, you know, people, what people don't realize is that this is an incredibly crowded landscape. Consistently, we're being sent um, visuals to look at. And you just don't give it any time, you don't. By the time you arrive at somebody's website, you've actually uh, got an invested interest. So you're part of the way there. How do people lose those people? But they do. They're, I've been, you know, I've been driven to a website by a great piece of marketing. And I think, wow, I want to know a bit more than that. That interests me. I get to the website and I'm like, oh, right, okay, I'll probably do that tomorrow. And think, park it and think I'll come back and just forget about it. And that's because the person who made the film hasn't grabbed my attention and got me got me watching and, and delivered the marketing message in an entertaining format 
and made me want to take action. So how would they have grabbed your attention if they've only got two minutes? You've got to do it, as I said, within the first four minutes, for the first four seconds. And it's down to the visuals and what people say. When you say visuals, what do you mean? The con- uh, the writing or imagery? The imagery, the imagery, what you're looking at, what you're looking at. You just, uh, I mean, some things, I some products that I look at that have been turned into films on screen, and I just think, oh, it's hopeless. People don't realise that production companies who make videos, cameramen, etc., they're in the business of pleasing the client. So if you as a business have hired a production company or a cameraman to produce something, they're in the business of pleasing you. They're not in the business of getting an audience. So if you are somebody who, um, you know, you've got people coming to your website, you're driving people to your website, unless you've got the right film, you're gonna be losing potential clients at that point. And what I ensure is that you don't. So I don't know if you you stopped to look at any of the films that were actually on the Delissa website, but you'll notice that they're very polished. Some of those films have taken a long time in the edit suite with moving things around and making sure they work, et cetera. And when we can do interviews with people and you'll get into the edit suite and you think, wow, that person, what that person said was absolutely fantastic but it's missing the word the, so I can't use it. And you'll, you'll, you'll scroll through the transcript till you find the word the and tell the editor where, where, he, can, where he can find the and then slot it into the edit. You know, it's, it's, um, it's a craft and I've been doing it for 30 years, but um, unless you, you get it exactly right, you are losing a, a, you know, attention. And in terms of television terms, I, I wouldn't get a recommissioned if I lost, I wouldn't get a recommission if I lost attention. So, you know, it's all about viewing figures and has been for years with television. So are you suggesting don't use a production company opposed to just with your smartphone to record that video? Is that too but, simple? But, but if what I'm suggesting they do probably is come to my masterclass and then they can go and hire a production company because they can tell the production company, you know, they, they then know what they want and what, what should be happening. Tell our listeners, how can people find out about your masterclass, Delissa? If they go on to delissa.com, they'll see the Masterclass tab and then they can contact me and find out when the next one is. And uh, my last question is, what's the biggest mistake that you come across when people are producing a video? They try to do too much. They hire in actors or they, they just, they've got such big ideas that are usually done by, you know, teams of crew. Keep it simple. And there's no reason why you can't shoot it on an iPhone. You just need to know what you're doing, which is what I say to people. You know, if you come to my masterclass, you will learn the tricks and the tips of how to make a successful film. Then you can go away and shoot it on an iPhone and it will be effective, provided you know what you're doing. And I give people after the class, I give all the clients 15 minutes with me to discuss the ideas and what they can do. So we talk about what's actually best for their business. So what would be the best thing? And that that's never the same for each company. They all, um, you know, they all have different things to fulfill and different ways to deal with it. So, you know, we do have some somebody who's got an app that deals a lot with the public. 
And what I think they should be focusing on is the human story that's involved in what they're doing. Whereas the business that's producing uh, an agricultural product needs to create a different kind of film. You know, it all depends, Michael, on what, what the product is as to what they should be shooting and what they should do. And that brings the Michael Crane.live podcast to an end, Alyssa. I just want to say thank you so much for joining us and sharing your stories on the podcast today. Thank you for having me, Michael. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the show. If you have a business story to share, please reach out and contact us on michael at michaelcrane.live. To hear more stories from entrepreneurs and business leaders, make sure you hit the subscribe button on iTunes and Spotify so you never miss an episode. We look forward to having you back for our next podcast show. Thank you. Today's show has been sponsored by www.teameasycrane.co.uk. We help you build your business and grow recurring profits. Thank you so much for listening, and don't forget to hit the subscribe button.